0: Guys, I have a confession before I get started. I just thought of this. Um, I quit coffee, like, at the beginning of June. And if you know me, I've attempted this. I'm like an old addict with with uh, cigarettes or anything, coffee and caffeine. I'm like, I, I got to quit. It's not good for me. I'm, I'm, this isn't a personal conviction on anybody else. This is my own personal thing. I got to stop drinking coffee, and I stopped at the beginning of June. So you're getting probably... Um, this is the first time I've ever preached before chugging um, a large double-double from Tim Hortons. So this is probably going to be a little bit more subdued version because I'm not amped up on caffeine. Or maybe this is this the true me. This is just who I am. Um, but either way, just I just wanted to warn everyone and just let you know. If I seem off a little bit, it's still a little bit cloudy. It's been four weeks, and um, I I still... I still think about that red cup with that sleeve on it and sipping that coffee from Tim Hortons, but um, I'm trying to put those things behind me. But I, and it was just for June, so if you'd see me with a cup of coffee after this, please don't judge me. I'm okay. I'm just okay. I'm trying to control it a little bit. Uh, okay, so we're in Jonah. We've been, uh, I've been walking through the book of Jonah with you guys. Uh, we are in Jonah chapter 3 this morning. Um, And I wonder, I see people with glasses and I can't see people with contacts unless you get up really close and and look at them, which is weird, but I, I wonder how many of us have been to the eye doctor. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but if you've ever been to the eye doctor, they bring down, at least at mine, I go to like kind of an old school person, which I like, and they bring down that giant thing and they sit it down over your eyes and right over your whole entire face and... They start clicking different lenses, and they're trying to see which lens you can see uh, the most clearly out of. So they ask you, what looks better, A or B, 1 or 2, C or D? Uh, They're trying to figure out which lens will help you see the things around you the most accurately. Um, And when we think through who God is and what God is like and what that means for us in our life, we want to make sure that we have on the correct lenses, so to speak. If, I, if my kids pick up my glasses and they do this a lot and they put it on, they can't see anything because it's, just, it's too much. And if I take my contacts off and I don't, if I take them out and I don't wear my glasses, I can't see anything. I don't have the lenses on that I need. And we need to put the correct lenses on when we're, we're walking through God's word. And look, we live in a broken world, so, so we're not going to get this completely right. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So we can't see perfectly. We can't see through God's Word perfectly who God is, because we live in this broken world, and our lenses are, are you know, they're blurred. But if we lean in to to God's word and we lean into prayer and we lean into what God has for us, we can see a little bit more clearly each day. So as we look at Jonah chapter 3 this morning, uh, I want us to try to put on the best lenses possible. We, We have seen, for starters, in this book that this book, the book of Jonah, isn't so much about Jonah as it is about God. It's not so much about a big giant fish as it is about God's mercy. So we, we want to read through the scripture this morning with, our God, with God lenses on, so to speak, not man lenses. We, we look for what these passages are saying about God, uh, what they are telling us about Jesus, how this scripture fits into the narrative of the Bible, That God is saving a people, that he's reconciling them, that he's redeeming them back to himself. So we're not reading these texts, and anytime you read God's word, you're not reading the text looking for a superhero in the Bible. We already have our superhero. We're not looking in these texts and trying to make much out of man. Man is broken and needs saving. We are looking for the Savior in these texts. So let's look at this passage this morning, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and see what those, this passage tells us, five verses, and I'm going to share just three things that I see about God, and I'm going to tell you right up front what I see. Um, one, I see that our God is, uh, three, I, two, I see that our God loves mercy, and three things that this text, without God, is wrathful towards sin. Those are the three things that in this text about our God. And I'm going to read uh, these five verses now in Jonah chapter 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So in this text, this is what we're going to look at. God is, our God is unchanging. Our God loves mercy. And our God is wrathful towards sin. Uh, and verse number one, it says, this kicks us right off. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, so what does this verse tell us about God? Uh, you will hear this cliche sometimes that we serve a God of second chances." Is that true? If you think about that, do we serve a God of second chances? And I would say, yes, I'm absolutely that is true, but I would like to discuss what that means a little bit further. Uh, when we think about a question like that, like, do we serve a God of second chances? We can't view that through the lenses of our own experience. We must try to see that through God's eyes. Jonah ran from God. Jonah said, throw me overboard. Jonah whined and pouted throughout these first, uh, this first bit. We don't know how long this took, but some amount of time. Jonah whined and pouted. He, he was um, actively running away from God in disobedience. And you think about your own life for a second. I know that I have knowingly made wrong decisions. I have willingly turned one way when I know what pleases God is in the opposite direction. So, in reality, He's not just the God of second chances, every second for us is a a second chance. Every second that we breathe is a second chance for us. If God didn't give us second chances, we'd all be in hell right now. So he most certainly is a God of second chances, but it goes beyond that. How many chances has he given you? I mean, it's it's this through our own eyes. And we think, well, you know, he's a God of second chances because he's given me a second chance to really make myself great. Like I missed out on this opportunity one time and then it came back around and, and God has given me the opportunity to make myself great and I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity and it's from God. And that's nice. And, and we should give God the credit for the opportunity if that is a good thing. But what about the 15,000 other chances that God gave you? Every day his mercies are new. We just read uh, in our call to worship, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So it is important for us to have the appropriate lenses on so that we can see that everything good belongs to the good God that gave it to us. Every opportunity, every situation, all of it. Not just the ones that you're noticing, but the ones that go unnoticed. Not just the ones that you think, man, this is a big opportunity here. This is a second chance from God. All of the, the chances belong to God. It has all been set up so that, God, so that we can then turn back and give that glory back to God. We can boast in Him. He is a God of second chances and third and fourth and an infinite amount of chances because He is a God that loves to give us opportunity. He loves mercy. He loves this. So here we have uh, the word of the Lord coming to Jonah for the second time. This isn't the second time ever. It's not like this is only the second time that Jonah's ever heard from God. Uh, we know that in other parts of Scripture, we can turn back into First Kings and see those things. But this marks the second time about this specific prophecy that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, he's, so he's more than a God of second chances. Jonah gets another opportunity to obey this specific time, and the Ninevites—they have disregarded God as they have. They have lived a lifestyle of violence. Repent. He is a God that loves mercy and deals it out more than just a second chance. It's not just a second chance. And that brings me to the second thing. Our God, is that the first thing? No, I'm sorry. I got lost, guys. Our God loves mercy. That was my first point. Our God loves mercy. He is a God of second chances because he loves to show mercy. He, he, we can see throughout the book of Jonah how many times he has been merciful, how many times he could have lowered the boom, how many times he had every right to do whatever he wanted, but he loves mercy, so he gives second and third and fourth and infinite amounts of chances. Um, verse number 2. Jonah chapter three, verse two, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. God's message does not change. If you look at Jonah chapter one, verse number one and two, I'm gonna read that. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And then if you go to Jonah chapter 3, it says in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. God's message does not change. We, our God is unchanging. So we see in the text, our God loves mercy, and our God is unchanging. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, and he told him to do the same exact thing that he told him to do the first time. It, is, it should be a great comfort to us to know that the God that we serve does not change. He, he, isn't, he isn't just dish, dishing out an assignment today and then tomorrow saying, you know what, on second thought, Completely forget that. You forget everything that I said yesterday. Do this thing. It, it isn't the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time and said, you know what, Jonah, forget about the Ninevites. We're, we're done with that. I'm moving on. He is unchanging. There is sureness in that. That is why his love is called steadfast love. That speaks to his character. character. He's immutable. He's unchanging. He's not fickle or flaky. He is an unchanging God. And I think there's a lesson in that for us. Um, And I just want to take a second here to speak to those of us with young children. There's a great lesson in that. And even those of you with children, there's a lesson in that too. But we are giving our picture, we're giving our kids to think of God in the same way that they think of their earthly father. If your dad was distant, disengaged, unattached, you probably have to fight against the attached. On the contrary, if your dad is present, caring, love, your thoughts will be bent toward him. So to have a God that doesn't change the assignment is pick up your toys and wipe the meatball off of the side of the wall. So you've launched it onto the side of the wall. And then your kid and so many best for, for our kids. is no, we, it is best if we don't say, you know, okay, okay. I'll pick up the toys and I'll wipe up half the sauce. If you can just wipe the lower part of the wall because I can't bend down that far. So you get part of it and I'll get part of it. No, it is best. It is in the best interest of our kids if we do not change the assignment. Because we are, we are displaying a God who is unchanging. God is not negotiating our terms. He's not looking to barter over commands. And for that, we know that we have a steadfast, faithful, reliable, strong God that has our best interest in mind. I know for me personally, this is my MO as a parent sometimes, and it's sinful because I'm not God. I'm giving a broken picture of God, but I will let something go. You know, I'll let it go. My kids and my wife especially can attest to this. I'll let it go, like something that shouldn't be let go because I just don't want to right now and I'll let it go and I'll let it go and then it starts boring down into my mind and then like the fifth time they do it, I get feeling annoyed and I'm moody and I'm like that's it, that's it, we're done and that uh, thing that I let go five or six times now I decide that I'm going to be moody and I'm going to punish that thing. That is not God. He is unchanging. He's not commanding Jonah to do something today and then Jonah not doing it and then the next day punishing Jonah for not doing the thing that he told him to do in the first place. No, he's unchanging. How disheartening would it be if God would have said, you know what, Jonah, don't worry about the Ninevites because it would have been like, wait a second, God, are you telling me that you told me to do something in the first place that really wasn't all that important, that didn't have much meaning? No, our God does not change. So when we give our kids and, and when we give um, those in our household something, uh, a good and right command that's in the best interest of them and is in everyone's best interest if we stick to that command. Now look, we are a broken picture of God to our children. So we're going to get that wrong. We're going to have to apologize. We're going to have to sit down and say, yeah, that was wrong about that. I'm sorry. There's That's just our broken human nature. God doesn't need to sit down and apologize to us because he never gets it wrong. We are just trying to give a picture of our God to our children. We're trying to be formed a little bit more into his image every day. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time and it was the same thing that he said the first time. And that shows us the steadfast sureness of our God. Our God is unchanging. This time, when the word of the Lord come to Jonah, uh, instead of running in the opposite direction, verse three says this. uh, So Jonah arose and went up and according to the word of the Lord. So Jonah actually great city, three days journey in breadth. So Jonah listens to God this time and he heads to Nineveh's journey. So it takes three days for someone to travel through the city committed. He's not, you know, have you ever, have you ever seen a fight? If you went to public school, you probably have types of fights that people get into. There's different, different type of fighters. Some people just go right in. Some people are kind of dancing around. And sometimes you'll see these guys that they just kind of circle the guy that, and then the guy comes at him, and they just, they split up a little bit and they walk a little bit faster. They don't actually want to get in there. They don't, they don't want to fight. This is not how Jonah approached the city of Nineveh the second. committed to what God was uh, prepared to tell the Ninevites. And it would be different. Uh, it wouldn't seem quite as bold. But he goes in with this in verse number four. It says, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah journeyed into Nineveh to tell them that God was going to destroy them in 40 days. He went among people that hated him and that he actually hated to tell them that God was wrathful, that he was going to pour out his wrath on them. And that is a pretty bold move. That's not circling around the outside. That's going right in the middle and just saying, in 40 days, God's going to blow this mess up. I'm sure he said some other stuff in there too. It's not like he just went in with one line, just with a bullhorn saying, yeah, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He he, he said some other stuff. This isn't his only line. But his message is the message of God's wrath. God is going to destroy this place if you guys don't repent. He's angry about the way that things are going here in Nineveh. Now, and I mentioned this back in Jonah chapter 1. This shows us God hates sin. He has no place for sin. He is actually wrathful towards sin. He wants to crush it. God's wrath will be poured out onto sinners that are not covered in the righteousness of Jesus. And yet, people don't want to hear about God's wrath. We get very uncomfortable in these passages where God is going to destroy people because of their wickedness. But this is the message that Jonah went into the city of Nineveh to proclaim, a message of God's wrath to come. And I just want to talk a little bit about God's wrath. Um, Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26. And in verse 39, he says this, and going a little farther, he fell on his face. This is Jesus. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What does Jesus mean when he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup? What What is Jesus talking about? Well, let's look at some other prophets and their messages that they proclaimed. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 25, 15, thus the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah fifty-one seventeen, "O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. And then in Revelation 14, 9, it says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out full strength into the cup of his anger. Jesus praying in the garden is talking about The cup of God's wrath. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Don't pour out your wrath on me if it is possible, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will. He knows that going to the cross means that he is drinking down the full cup of God's wrath towards sin. This is anger that God pours out onto Jesus Christ on behalf of our sins because of his hatred to sin. And because of that hatred, he must drink the cup of God's wrath till the very last drop is gone if those sinners are to be reconciled back to God. So if we want to be reconciled back to God, Jesus must have drunk the cup of God's wrath. And on that cross, Jesus Christ took every drop of God's wrath. He paid for all the anger and hatred that God has towards sin so that we don't have to drink from that cup. Those of us that have been granted faith and repentance will know nothing of God's wrath because Jesus drank the cup. That's the cup that we're talking about. And here in Jonah chapter 3, Jonah is going about the city city of Nineveh preaching God's wrath. Repent or God will destroy this place. If you're like me, that just seems like a, not a great strategy. It doesn't seem like a really good evangelistic strategy to go in and say, God's going to destroy you. You better repent. Why would people repent without hearing about how loving God is? But, in and, and verse number five, we see that quite the opposite happens. Verse five of Jonah three. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The Ninevites, this this wicked, disgusting people of Nineveh, the place rampant with violence and anger and hatred, repented when they heard of God's wrath. They repented. What like what made him do that? What when it says that the the that they believed God in chapter five? What what did they believe? What was their belief in? And I just want to touch on two things about the Ninevites' belief. Ninevites' belief. The first thing is the Ninevites' belief was in God. Uh, and the people of Nineveh believed God. That's what it says in chapter uh, three, verse five. Why belief? And what God is saying is actually supernatural. It's the natural man does not just believe God. 1 Corinthians is to him. And he does not, and he is not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are discerned. If belief in what God is saying is supernatural, that makes my job a whole lot easier. And that makes your job as someone that's proclaiming the gospel a whole lot easier. We don't have to be God's publicist. We're not his PR campaign manager. We don't have to dress God up and try to make him look a little bit more easy to handle. We're simply sharing the truth of who God is and what he has done. Now, it better be accurate. You better stick to what he actually is doing and is saying, but the work of the belief is in God's hand. I mean, look at here in Jonah. We just said he went into the city a day's journey He wasn't even happy about it. He didn't even like the people. He wasn't excited that the Ninevites were repenting. We'll definitely see that in the next chapter. He was simply saying what God wanted him to say and they believed God. That is a lot of pressure. I'll tell you what, as a preacher even, that's a lot of pressure off of me because I don't have to come up here and be anything other than just the person that's telling you what God has said in his word. God has told us What he thinks and what he has to say—it's right here in his word. Say this stuff, read this stuff, live this. Leave the the persuasion of mankind's heart up to God. The Ninevites believed God. Their belief first was in God. The second thing about the Ninevites' belief was that it produced action. The the Ninevites' belief produced action. Do you know that the root of all of your sin and apathy is unbelief? Because belief produces action. They, the Ninevites called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. When we believe something, it moves us to action. If you came up to me and you said, man, I, I'm so tired. I just wanna take a load off and rest my feet. And I pulled out one of these chairs and I said, sit down here. I mean, go ahead and sit down. And you're like, no, 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 I'm not going to sit down. My feet are tired. I'm sick of just carrying this weight around, but I'm not going to sit down. And I'm like, well, why not? This is a nice, sturdy chair. Just have a seat. And you're like, yeah, I know. I know. Those chairs are really nice. That one in particular has a weight capacity of 1,500 pounds. Um, I'm well under that, so I know that it will hold me. It's made by one of the top three manufacturers in all the chair industry, so I, I'm very aware of the work that this chair company is doing, but I'm, just, I'm not going to sit down. And I'm like, well, sit down. And you say, I can't. I can't sit down. I've had a couple bad experiences with chairs in the past, so I cannot sit down. I know it'll hold me. It's made of nice material, very sturdy, I like the way it looks, smells nice, all things are great, but I've been burnt by chairs in the past, and I'm not going to sit down. Listen, you don't believe that that chair is going to hold you. You can look around and see that, but you don't believe it because belief moves you to action. If you believe the chair would hold you, you would sit down and rest your feet because that's what you want. This is what Jimmy has been saying that James has been saying, that God has been saying in the book of James. Moves, when he has been walking through the book of James, faith works. Belief moves. The Ninevites believed God, and they were moved to do something about it. I know I should live a holy life, but I just believe that God doesn't have my best interest in mind, or, or he's going to steal all the fun. I know I should read his word, but I just, I really don't think it's worth the time that I have to put into it. I know I should share the gospel, but I really don't think it matters. It doesn't make any difference. Even though that's what God's telling me to do, he's telling me to go and make disciples. I just, I don't believe it. We don't believe God. That's at the root of our sin. And some of us, some of you, maybe even in this room, are in a scarier place yet because you know that Jesus died on the cross. You know that he drank the cup of God's wrath, but you don't believe it. You don't believe he has done this to save you. And so you go about still trying to save yourself. You're carrying around the weight of your sin because you don't believe it. Or or you're going about with some false sense of security that because you acknowledge that you know about the cross and you know about Jesus and what he's done and you come in here and you sit and you listen, that somehow you and God are good. You've got this false sense of security. That's a scary place to be because some of you don't believe this and you sit under the wrath of God and you will drink from the cup of his wrath. You will pay the price for your sins. And if that's you, if you're like, I don't believe, my belief in Jesus has never pushed me to do anything, then I would encourage you to cry out to God, ask him to give you the faith to believe, and then cry out to him again until he gives you that faith to believe. He is not willing that any should perish. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The cup of God's wrath has been drunk for all of those who believe to God through the faith that we have in Jesus' work on the cross. We have a better lens now. We have a better lens than Jonah had. We see the whole picture. I've been Jesus throughout this series that Jonah isn't the best version. G is the better Jonah, the true and better Jonah. He is enough. He is to look for it, but that Jesus is uh, the, the true and better Adam. And Jesus is also the true and better Jonah. Jonah came to the Ninevites with the message of God's wrath and believed the gospel. He wouldn't just say flee from the wrath to come, but he would actually carry our cross and the weight of our sin to Calvary and drink to the last drop the cup of God's wrath for all who would believe. He would do that would, he would do that which Jonah could never. Only question, he is the better Jonah. He is enough. Let's pray.